Hi, and welcome to the Willow Ridge Church Weekly Podcast. This is where you can find audio for our current and past sermons. We hope that you enjoy this week's installment, and be sure to check back next week to hear the latest message. Thanks for listening. good day to be here. If you got your Bibles, go ahead and open up to 1 Corinthians. We are going to be in chapter 9 and 10. I don't know if you're aware of this, but I, I checked this morning. Today is the last Sunday of winter, all right? And it did a good job, right? Really feeling like winter out there. Um, so that made it a little tough this morning. But how many of you kind of felt that loss of hour this morning when you got up and got out of bed? Yeah, I did. I'll be honest with you. I got up. My alarm clock went off this morning. Erin looked at me and she said, I'm cold. Can you lay here and let's cuddle for a minute? I was like, absolutely, because I don't want to get up and get going either. Um, but then we got here today. And we see three families that stand before you and say, this isn't a lip service, but this is what we've committed to, that we've committed to discipling our kids. And then we got a family that comes forward, daughter baptizing them, small group leaders baptizing them, coming forward. I know every day is a good day. I know every day that we have the privilege and, and opportunity to gather together for worship is a good day, but today just feels like an extra good day. And so we are just blessed blessed to be here. I um, want to follow up, just add to a little bit of our announcements. Uh, first marriage conference, please, 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 March 25th and 26th. It's going to be a wonderful Friday night and Saturday morning gathering together as married couples. I don't care if you've been married a minute, right, or a, a million years, all right? You need to be here. You need to be a part of this to see what God's going to do to walk through this. Aaron and I have been, been studying this already in, in these, the, these talks that we're going to listen to, these messages that we're going to listen to, and just already gleaning from and taking from them what the Lord has for us and just can't wait to see what it is going to do in the life of so many of our families. And so we'll be selling tickets back here uh, to my left. We'd like to encourage you to be there, to be a part of that weekend with us. Um, also, last week, I, I mentioned and began to talk about in the message, um, Circle of Welcome. It's a new ministry that we're going to be having here um, at Willow Ridge Church as we're going to be partnered with a refugee family um, that is going to be moving in from some location in the world. We don't know uh, where they're coming from. We know they're going through all the, 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 the pieces and check boxes that they need to from our government to be here and to be here legally. And so we're going to be coming alongside one of these families and welcoming them and, and, and ministering to them and caring for them as, as they acclimate, moving from wherever in the world they are to where God is bringing them here today. And we shared that and had a wonderful response from people last week that are, that are interested in it, but we have a lot of questions that are out there. And so what we're going to be doing is, is on March the 20th at 6.30, we're going to be hosting a meeting in Building 2 in Room 200 where I get to kind of walk a little bit more in depth of what it means to be a part of Circle of Welcome, but even more importantly, to give you guys an opportunity to ask 
questions about what does this look like? What are you going to ask of me? What are you going to require from me? And an opportunity to do that, okay? And so if, if you're interested in just being a part of the meeting, if you're interested and can't make the meeting, there's a sign-up sheet on the black table in our lobby out front. And if you just put your name and number down, we'll be in touch with you and hopefully we can all be at the meeting and hear and see what, what God is, is going to do. Well, you know, as we think about Scripture, I don't know about you, but it's always neat when I'm reading through the Bible and there's the Bible verse that jumps out to me, and I'm going to put this in quotes for the first time. Maybe I forgot that it was there. Maybe I've just glanced over it in my reading through before, but, but, but the Bible verse that's, that's there, and I'm like, you know, I, I, I forgot that it was there. I don't remember seeing that before and the newness and the freshness of it. Because I find in, in a lot of ways that there are those Bible verses that for, especially those of us who are brought up in church, right, that just become these popular common Bible verses that we say a lot, that we use a lot, and that's good. We, we've set those things, those truths of the Lord in our heart, and, and God brings them to our memory right when we need them in the, in the situations that we face. But, but sometimes I find that there's Bible verses that we can just kind of draw from quickly, and, and do we even understand the, the great impact of what God's doing? Now, if you were a child, I believe I saw this the most in like the, the 70s and the 80s, you know, you couldn't see a Major League Baseball game without somebody holding up a John 3.16 sign, right? And, and you'd see that. You don't see that as much today as you, as you used to. But, but at that time, probably whether you were in church or out of church, you at least had this John 3.16 reference, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that, that, that whosoever believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life, right? So there's those popular verses. But then there's other ones. That we, that we hear, that we speak, that we reference, that we maybe even paraphrase in our own words from time to time. Bible verses like Philippians 4.13, right? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Or maybe the Bible verse, 1 Peter 5, 7, it's been one for me. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. These have been Bible verses that we know, that we, that we say, but do we understand that the depth and in the context of of what the writer is, is talking about and what the Spirit of the Lord is leading them in. Well, this morning's message in, in 1 Corinthians 9 and, and 10, there's, there's one of these verses, and, and it's going to kind of be the verse that we build on and we, we go off of. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to start at the end and, and kind of work our way back and work through this a little bit. And we're going to be really aggressive in our time approach to this this morning as we try to look over two chapters but there's the verse at the end of 1 Corinthians 10, not at the very end, but right there in the, in the last, that's, that's a common one to so many, and it's this. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. I don't know about you, but that's a verse that I know that I've quoted a lot. Even if I don't give the, the reference, 1 Corinthians 10, 31, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, you do it all for the glory of God. And on the surface... Right? This is a very straightforward verse, very little to explain. In all things that you do, not in some, but in all. So go through your day. When you wake up, you go to bed. In every aspect that's there, it's not do some, it's not do most, it's do all. Not just when we're at church, 
Not when we're just at small group, not when we're just at mission trip or when we're having our quiet time, but do all things to the glory of God. Now, here's where I think we need a little explanation. Because you and I, I think when we, when we read this, we, we understand, even if we struggle with, with the practical application of this, you and I know that, that we aren't allowed to subdivide our life into different segments and say, well, well, this one's mine, this one's God's, this one's mine, this one's God's. Now, practically, our life oftentimes plays out that way, but we know that's not God's desire for it. But what does it mean when we say that we're to do all things for the glory of God, a phrase that we maybe use all the time, that we are living for God's glory. And I think this is the, the piece that, that we see so much of what Paul is pressing into, and, and honestly, not even just to the church at Corinth, but to every letter and, and that, that he's going to write, to every book of the Bible, to every verse of living for God's glory. What is that? What is God's glory, I think, is a wonderful question. And I think the application, how do I live for that, is fair. What is God's glory, and how do I live for it? Well, very simply, the glory of God is the beauty of his spirit. I read it this week, and I love that simple definition. This beauty is not a material beauty. It's, it's beyond that. But the beauty that emanates from his character, it, it's who he is. It's that we are to live for the beauty of God. We're to live for the character of God. We're to live for the glory of God, that this is why we live. In fact, the Bible even tells us, and I apologize that this verse isn't going to be on the screen, but, but that the Bible says that we were created for this purpose, that we were created for his glory. Isaiah 43, 7 says, everyone who was called by my name, whom I created for my glory. So whatever reason you think you're here, for whatever purpose that you think that you're here, for whatever wakes you up in the morning and drives you, you were created for a purpose that's not unique to the rest of us. That we were created for God's glory. And now his glory and his beauty are seen amongst many things. Many things. You go out and you look at the beautiful sunrise and you see the glory of the beauty of the creator. You hear a newborn baby cry and you're reminded of the glory of the creator of life in that moment. You see a marriage that's broken, that's reconciled. And the couple draws back together and draws back to the Lord. And you see the, the, the glory of, of the beauty of the redeeming God that we serve. Right? We see people who were lost and separated from the Lord come to faith in him. And we see the glory of the beauty of the Savior. This is what we see. But we are called also to live our life in a way as those that have been redeemed, those that have been justified, those that are being sanctified, those that have been saved, to live our life in a way that reflects and shows the world the beauty of God. And we're good at doing that in places like here. 
We're good at gathering together amongst brothers and sisters in Christ and emulating and, 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 and radiating and, and reflecting the beauty of God. We, we just did that just a moment ago in worship as we sang and declared who he was. We do this as we, as we open his word and, and talk about how he is. We, we, we do that as we stand out front and greet and welcome one another. We do that as we check our kids in and drop them off in kids' ministry. We do that as our students gathered in a, in a room and talk through God's word together. We did that as adults where, where two of our small groups meet this morning and dove into and talked about life and how God's leading them and drawing them and breaking down God's word. We do a really good job of doing this together, but, but, but the gospel doesn't just say, come and gather. The gospel says, come and gather so that you can go. And we spend way more time going than we do in gathering. We spend way more time there than we, than we do in here. And so what I want us to, to look at th- th- this morning in, in a quick kind of overview of 9 and 10 is we're going to look at this and Paul's going to say, like, I'm going to walk you through as he's going to culminate in 1031 and say, do it all for the glory of God and draw from this several ways of what it means to live your life for the glory of God. Now, now please hear me. This is a not all-encompassing list of everything that we do, but as we've seen, as we've walked through, as we see what, what, the, what the church at Corinth is battling and noticing that we're battling some of those within ourselves as well, what we can do to, 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 to live our life for the glory of God. And so number one, and this has been kind of an on-repeat theme almost every single week, right? It's laying down our rights. Laying down our rights. That we understand that Jesus demands from us, that Jesus calls us to stop living for you and you alone. That I am not the center, I cannot be the center of my universe and be in the center of God's will. I can't do that. We have to stop stop living for, for myself and start living for the Lord, right? And loving others. Look Look how Paul describes this 1 Corinthians 919. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. And I've become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I might share with them in its blessing. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things, and they do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. And so Paul looks at him and says, here's what this means in my life. 
Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, who's, who's just previously in chapter 9 talked about what it means to be an apostle. He, he says to, to, the, to the Jews, which, which Paul understood, Paul was, is, is ethnically Jewish, and before Christ saved him, was religiously Jewish as well, a Jewish leader. He said, to the Jews, I surrender my rights and freedoms in Christ, and I live as one under the law. Dietary restrictions, customs, festivals, all that that's there, I take that on, and I know that that doesn't save me. But if it opens the doorway for me to be able to share the gospel with them, then absolutely I'll lay it down. He says to the, to the Gentiles, Paul embraces their difference, their cultures, their, their, their customs, their, their practices without pursuing the things that are sinful that their culture accepts. He's already talked through that with us of what we read. He's like, no, we, we, we abstain from that. We don't pursue those things, but here's what I'm willing to take on. Here's what I'm willing to do because for the Jew, for the Greek, for the Gentile, it's what we live for the glory of God. He says, for those of you who are weak in the church and your faith isn't as mature, then I abstain from the freedoms that I have of what I can do because there's a greater purpose, Paul says. There's a greater thing than dietary restrictions. There's a greater thing than being able to eat meat that's been sacrificed to idols. There's a greater thing than even abstaining from meat that's being sacrificed to idols. Look back at verse 23. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessing. Paul says, why do I do this for the Jew? So they may be saved. Why did I do this for the Gentile? So they might be saved. Why do I do this for the weak brother and sister in Christ? Because if they're not saved, then they might be saved. And this is how Paul looks at and approaches his life. Understand this. When we lay down our rights, when we think of others first, when we decide that it's not, this life isn't not about me, we're not doing this in an essence so that we can force ourselves into martyrdom and earn our salvation or get a bragging right about how pious we are. But we lay down our rights so that others can come to know Jesus because we understand that that's what eternity is all about. Paul paints a picture of a marathon runner and a boxer. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in a marathon. Shocker, I haven't. I don't know if you've ever been a boxing match. Shocker number two, not me again, right? Not my things on either one of those. But they're, they're grueling. At the end of a marathon, oftentimes the, the men and women who compete in those will, will, will face injuries because of the grueling race that they've had to go through. We've all seen at least one Rocky movie, right? So we know what that looks like at the end of them. We know what it goes through. And Paul says that we do these things for a wreath that will perish. You see, they'd give them a wreath that was made and have, have the leaves on it, right? And anybody who's ever given anyone flowers knows what happens after a certain point in time, right? They, they wither and they fade and they die. 
And Paul says that, that we as believers, we don't lay down our rights. Like this is what we're living our life for. When we're living our life for the things of this world, we're living our life for the things that will fade and will die and will go away. But we're called to live for the reward that doesn't. We're called to live for the reward that's eternal. To see men and women and children surrender their lives to the Lord. The second thing that we're going to see here, not only are we to lay down our rights, but we're to pursue holiness. Pursue holiness. Look down at chapter 10, verse 6. Now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual morality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overcome you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, free from idolatry. And so Paul begins by talking about those that have come before and their, their failings of, of, of where they've not pursued the things of the Lord and the sins and the warning against them to learn from the examples that they've seen. Because Paul's already been pointing out the sinful characteristics and the sinful actions of those in the Corinthian church we've been walking through over the last several weeks. We've seen they've got divisions in the church. We've seen that they've been trusting the wisdom of the world. We've seen them unwillingness to, be, to deal with sin amongst the body. We've seen that they're suing one another within the congregation. We've seen the sexual immorality that has run rampant in many areas within the church. We've seen the brokenness and the thoughts of marriage that are there. We've seen the willingness to cause others to stumble for the sake of their own rights. And it all culminates, too, in the society in which they find themselves in, the idolatry that's there. And time and time again, throughout 1 Corinthians, Paul says what you need to do is run away from it. Run away from it. You need to flee from it. Why don't you think about this? When you're running from something, you're running to something. There's always some direction that you're headed. And so many times, we want to think, and we see the sin that's there, and we run from that sin to that sin to that sin to that sin. But what Paul is painting for us here is to run away and to run to the Lord. Look back at verse, verse 13. When we're tempted, when sin, and, and, and these things that Paul's been leading them to, they're, they're sin that's enticing them. They're not going to address this in 1 Corinthians and then go away. It's going to continue to be there. And he says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He's faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Right? You know, Jesus was tempted. Matthew chapter 4. Jesus was brought into the desert. When he was in the desert, he was tempted by Satan. 
And we don't have the time to go through that, but in every single instance when Jesus was tempted, and I think we can all agree that our example of faith, we can, we can look at our grandma, right? We can look at Paul. The greatest example of faith is, is Jesus and his holiness. And in every single one, where did he turn to? He turned to the Father. He turned to the Word, right? With temptation, we need to stop playing defense. And we need to understand that we have the ability with the Spirit of God in us to play offense and to flee from temptation and the pursuit of God and His holiness. If sexual morality is there, then I flee and I pursue the Lord and what He has for me. If division is there, then I flee and I run toward the unity that God calls me to and shows me. If causing others to stumble is there, then I flee from that and I run to a surrender of my rights. If idolatry is there, then I flee from it and then I run to him and bury myself in him and in who he is. And then lastly, and we've kind of talked about this before, but we'll close with this. Think eternally. Think eternally. At Baby Steps last night, it's the reminder for me, the older I get, how quick time passes. I don't know about you, but right now I'm feeling really old, right? My kids make me feel old. They do. The pictures on Facebook that come up from like six years ago when they're like this, and that now I look at them and they're like this, right? Makes me feel old. Friday night, I haven't confessed this to anyone. I'll share this now. Friday night, we had a group of the students up here, and we played dodgeball. And I threw a couple of dodgeballs. And my right shoulder, if I could cut it off right now, I would. I'm just being honest with you, right? And I remember the day I'm watching the kids out there, and they're dodging, and they're laughing, they're having a good time, and I remember... That was, I was telling our families at, at Baby Steps last night as they're talking about teaching, and I, I began to look back, always reminisce on, on Baby Steps, right? And I remember it wasn't too long ago I was teaching my kids how to ride their bike, and now I'm teaching them how to drive my truck, you know? Right? It just happens like that. But we get stuck in thinking about time and the way that we understand it and what we need to do and what we need to accomplish because our life will end. And so what are all the check boxes that we want to make sure that are done? And so we set some great goals. Goals that we have, goals that you have. I don't belittle these goals. These are wonderful goals. Debt-free, retirement. Get the kids taken care of. Raise them up. Educate them. Bring them up in the Lord. Great things. Great things. Especially bring them up in the Lord. Great things. But are we thinking eternally? Are we thinking in the ripples of the effects of time that will continue on and on and on? Paul says, verse 31, read it again, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks 
or to the church of God. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they might be saved. That's thinking with eternity in mind. Paul says when we're living for the glory of God, when we're displaying his beauty and his kindness and his grace, it's for a reason. So that men, women, and children have an opportunity to see, to hear, and to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that, my friends, and that matters in eternity. Would you pray with me? Lord, we come to you this morning. And Lord, you are so beautiful. Lord, in your kindness and in your compassion, in your grace, in your creation, in your saving, in your word. Lord, you're so beautiful. Lord, as we go from here, Lord, may we take what we've experienced. May we take what we know and reflect it, Lord, in such a way that shows people who you are. May we pursue holiness not out of a, a mindset of, of a self-righteous, pious person, Lord, but out of the heart of a person that's been saved, that's been redeemed, that's been saved. Lord, could we think eternally Lord, and understand or the beautiful privilege that we have to be a part of the mission of God, to share with others, to minister to others, to care for others. Lord, can we do that within the body to each other? But can we also do it outside of the body in a way that gives us an opportunity to to not just to love with our actions, but to love with our words and share the hope of Jesus and to tell our story and see that others might be saved. Jesus, I thank you for that wonderful privilege and opportunity that we have. Lord, if there's anyone here this morning who's not saved. Lord, I pray through the words that they've heard this morning. Lord, I pray through the testimony of baptism. Lord, that your spirit would draw them to you, that they would respond to the call that you're leading them to, and that today may be the day of their salvation.
Lord, I pray for the individuals and families that are here. As what they witnessed earlier was a dedication of discipleship. And Lord, that they, regardless if they have kids or not, regardless if their kids are, 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 are one or, or 41, would decide today to be a man or woman, a family of discipleship, growing each other and growing themselves in you. For your name, for your glory. And so Lord, as we respond in song, may it be done for you and you alone. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We got prayer encouragers on either side of our auditorium. If you've come here this morning with a burden and you need someone to pray for you, they'd be happy to. They would love to. They would welcome it. If you need to talk to someone about a relationship with Jesus Christ, they'd be more than happy to do that as well. All we ask is that you respond and how the Spirit of God is leading you this morning. Would you stand as we worship Him? Thanks again for listening to the Willow Ridge Church weekly podcast. We hope that you enjoyed listening to this week's message. If you'd like to learn more about who we are or explore additional resources, visit us online at www.willowridgechurch.com or by searching for Willow Ridge Church on Facebook and Instagram.